Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. I'm sure you're ready for some hot and heavy soccer action. That sounds really dirty. I did not intend to be dirty. This is a family, it's a family program. We will not tolerate flagpoles and banners attached to the stadium and chanting of any type. And there's only one drum allowed here at Soccer Morning. No, no, that's not true. No, no, we want to we want to curry favor with our supporters, the hardcore group, the people that listen to the show every single day, which is effectively have like having a season ticket to Soccer Morning. What kind of what kind of benefits package can we put together for a season ticket to Soccer Morning? If you're a season ticket holder, if you're a club member, what do you get? We got to we got to work on that. Uh, what you all, what you definitely get, I can say that certainly off the top, is a good show today with a couple of excellent guests. First up, Stefan Ersfeld, our friend from Germany, will talk about the Bundesliga yesterday's game between Bayern Munich and Schalke. Certainly happens in just a couple of minutes. So Stefan coming up then, uh, then at ten ten, and then uh, ten thirty, bottom of the hour, Howard Megdal, who writes on many different sports topics, but definitely keeps an eye on everything New York soccer. Has written on the Red Bulls. And uh, the Cosmos and, and NYCFC in the past, he'll join us. We're going to do a little Red Bull uh, review right here with Tim Cahill now leaving the club. This is Ter- Thierry Henry, Tim Cahill out, Sasha Kleschen in, Ali Curtis with his 300-page plan, Jesse Marsh on the sidelines. We'll get Howard's take on that. And maybe, like I said, delve into some other New York topics. Certainly the Cosmos are always uh, worth a discussion. So there you go. There's your lineup for today. I am very excited. Let's go to the news. First up, Harry Redknapp out at QPR has left the club. Uh, this happened just at the end of the show yesterday. Didn't get a chance to talk about it. But Harry Redknapp, who took over at Loftus Road in November of 2010 uh, and helped the club get back. Um, uh, sorry, after, helped the club. Didn't help the club. He, he saw the club go down uh, into the championship and then helped it back up into the Premier League in uh, 2014 in this season now qbr is in 19th place they look very much like a relegation candidate they haven't won uh, they haven't won or drawn on the road they've lost all 11 matches away from loftus road and harry is put chalking this up to his knee surgery sadly i need immediate surgery on my knee i'm not even attempt a harry Radnup impression it's not going to happen sadly i need immediate surgery on my knee which is going to stop me from doing my job in the coming weeks it means i won't be able to get out on the training pitch every day and i can't if i can't give 100 percent I feel it's better for someone to take over the reins. My relationship with, with Tony Fernandez has been one of the highlights of my footballing career, and I wish the club every success. I'm confident they will sub- survive in the Premier League this year. Really? Oh, that would be quite the feat. By the way, this is another opportunity. If you've not never seen the four-year plan, the documentary behind the scenes at QPR from a couple of years back when they were trying to get up to the Premier League again, man, that's fantastic stuff. you got to go check that out. It was a... The turnover in, in, in terms of the uh, club chairman and the ownership turnover uh, in terms of the, the managerial position. Neil Warnock comes in at one point. It's just fascinating behind-the-scenes stuff. You have to check that out. All right, so Harry's out at QPR again. The knee, is that really the excuse, or was Harry just not interested in seeing that club go down under his stewardship? AC Milan has announced plans for a 38,000-seat stadium. Uh in Milan, if you're ready, if you're ready for some stadium porn, if it's been a little while for you, if you're itching, these are fantastic images from this thing. It looks like 
It looks like some, my kid is big into Minecraft. Don't don't get me started on how obsessed he is with Minecraft. It looks like somebody built this in Minecraft. It's like a bunch of boxes, and then in the middle of the boxes is a stadium. They've apparently said that uh, some of this was inspired by the Emirates in uh, in 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 London, uh, Arsenal Stadium. Certainly, two hundred and forty million pounds could be the potential cost of this uh, of this venue. Now we've seen stadium plans in the past, especially in Italy, come up and not go anywhere. I think uh, you know, obviously, AS Roma is continuing their push for a stadium. Uh, you, you've got AC Milan and Inter Milan still sharing the San Siro. Juventus has got their building together, and that's obviously helping them as a club. Uh, and I, I think that place is mostly full. And I don't want to speak out of turn here, but attendance in Italy, not the best. So new stadiums are certainly needed in order to upgrade the facilities there in a country with a rich tradition uh, in soccer. England, England's all-time leading scorer for the women's national team has retired from international play. Kelly Smith, 117 appearances. 46 goals, an absolute legend in uh, England's English women's soccer, a, a, a team a team that had to fight and claw to get some respect on the international stage, certainly within the women's game, but also a country that has not always been hospitable to the notion of women playing the game. So uh, it, it's certainly worth noting the retirement of Kelly Smith, who has uh, played uh, in, the, uh, in the States, in the professional leagues here, and now is retiring. Uh, from the international stage, you're currently an Arsenal ladies player. Mar- Miami-Dade County commissioners uh, have voted to direct Mayor Jimenez to negotiate with Florida International University to uh, to get a temporary venue for a potential MLS team led by David Beckham. Now, what's interesting about this is while the county commissioner uh, county commission voted unanimously to direct the mayor to do this. The Beckham team itself is no is not on board necessarily with this plan. They didn't ask for it. They weren't behind it. They are lukewarm to the notion of playing temporarily at FIU. They said some nice things in the aftermath, but you get the sense that this really has nothing to do with MLS potentially going to Miami because in order for that to happen, Beckham's got to get the stadium deal done. Now, there have been little tiny hints here and there from Beckham and his team that they may have something to announce relatively soon, but this is a year. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of David Beckham standing up on that uh, podium, standing up on that stage with Don Garber and the mayor of Miami and making the announcement that he intended to bring top-level professional soccer back to Miami, and there has been zero movement. They've gone over a couple of ideas, and they've been squashed every single time. You wonder when MLS is going to have to cut bait on this idea, and I'm not saying that because I want it to happen. I know there's a vibrant group of fans down there, the the Southern Legion, who are pushing and pushing and pushing to get MLS back to Miami. It just hasn't happened, and MLS continues to go and dance with other partners. My uh, Minnesota, Sacramento, San Antonio, St. Louis is back in the mix. All of those things may prevent Miami from getting their team anytime soon if they can't get the stadium done on a, uh, a relatively short timeline. In the Bundesliga yesterday, I mentioned this, and we'll talk to Stefan Ersfeld about it. Schalke earned a draw with... 10-man Bayern Munich. Pep Guardiola says he's happy with the point. We'll get Stefan's perspective on that game. In the FA Cup, Manchester United, Sunderland, and Preston North End all advanced. Preston took down Sheffield United. Sunderland beat Fulham. And Manchester United beat Cambridge United. Uh, No surprise there, certainly, as uh, Louis van Gaal's team moves on in England's top cup tournament. Frank Borgie, the uh, goalkeeper for the 1950 United States men's national team that shocked England in Belo Horizonte, Brazil has passed away at the age of 89. Frank was 
a legend in St. Louis, a legend in American soccer, certainly. He had only nine caps. This is Remember, this is a time when the U.S. men's national team didn't play a lot of games. It was difficult to get guys together. But he was the man in, the, in between the sticks when the United States shocked England with that goal from Joe Gaichens there in Belo Horizonte. Uh, some very nice things been coming out about Frank Borghi, a, a guy who is in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, rightfully so, and a man worth remembering as we move into the future of American soccer. Let's take a break. Let's grab Stefan Ersfeld and talk some German football. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, Backheel.com. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, Backheel.com, and joined now on the phone by Stefan Ostfeld, live from Germany. We'll talk, we'll talk to Stefan about some Bundesliga topics, certainly some matches happening yesterday and today in the Bundesliga. Big uh, move for Andre Schürrle back to, or back to Germany with Wolfsburg. Stefan, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be back on your show. It's good to have you. Let's uh, let's start. I will start with the transfer. The, the transfer window closing. Well, Bundesliga is back. I mean, that's certainly the the biggest topic here in Germany in terms of uh, the winter break and teams coming out of it. And uh, well, maybe, maybe before I even bring up the transfer window and and the one move that I even know about back into Germany. Uh, in terms of the break and what it what effect it has on these teams. I mean, we, we people who watch a lot of English Premier League talk all the time about how they jam all the, those matches into that festive period. They don't take a break. There's often um, managers in England who say they should take a break, and when they come up to big tournaments in the summer for the national team, those players are are tired and, and it has an effect. How does the How is the break viewed? I mean, is it just the status quo? Is it just what we do in Germany? How does it affect teams? Well, it has several effects. Uh, you take, uh, take Bayern Munich, for instance, um, they had a lot of time to think about uh, what went wrong last season. Um, cause they came out of the winter break and uh, just rushed through the Bundesliga, won the league uh, in late March, and crashed out of Champions League against uh, Real Madrid. So this year, most of the, the talk in Germany and uh, what you were able to hear from the Bayern players was about uh, how to avoid uh, crashing out to Real once again in the semi-final of uh, Champions League. Um, now... Bundesliga is back, and uh, seems their plan is to uh, just uh, let the teams play catch up. Um, so they might have uh, been thinking too much. Uh, for teams like Borussia Dortmund, it's also a chance to to regroup and uh, just find back confidence or train hard or have time to actually work on tactics, uh, work on different formations. So, well, it's a second preseason with all uh, the positive and negative side effects. Certainly you can't wipe away your record to this point, but for Dortmund especially, it has to be viewed as a new beginning. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about these matches that we've had yesterday. Uh, Bayern Munich and Schalke play to a 1-1 draw. Pep Guardiola after the match saying that he's happy with the point. Certainly Bayern going down to 10 men is part of the reason for that. But how did you view uh, Bayern's performance coming out of the break? 
Oh, the first match um, against Wolfsburg, um, they actually lost it after like four or five minutes when when Bastos scored his first goal. Um, just caught on, uh, caught defending very high. Um, they Wolfsburg played the passes behind the defense, um, and they didn't look too good in defense. The same happened yesterday with uh, Boateng receiving his fifth red card as the fourth straight red card in Bundesliga history. So um, it was good for them actually to get a point against Schalke who disappointed um, because they didn't go for it uh, against the Bayern side who looked really weak um, and vulnerable in defense again. Um, so it hasn't been the best for Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Best start, but still, they're, they're eight points clear at the top of the league, so um, they'll be fine. Well, you, you, as you said, they're, they're going to just let, try to let everybody play catch up. And maybe, I'm not saying that these results have anything to do with it, but is Guardiola, you think Guardiola's focus is on, I, I, I mean, you know, is his focus on the Champions League? How, how does that, and considering the defensive woes, and you mentioned the, the loss to Wolfsburg, how is that playing into perception of what Bayern Munich how good they are right now, again, as as we uh, approach very quickly the next round of the Champions League. But they've got several players still out. Um, they've got Philip Lahm, um, who might be back in time for the second leg against Donetsk or the quarterfinals, and they should make the quarterfinals, uh, even given their current form. Um, so it doesn't really, the current form doesn't really affect uh, their Champions League hopes because um, they've got a load of loads of quality in their, their squad and um, you've got Holger Bartstuber who will be back uh, in, in central defense so there's another option um, which is good because uh, Dante has never really uh, coped with uh, the 7-1 against Germany uh, at the World Cup for Brazil and uh, but it's still a lot of time for Bayern, and um, they have enough quality to to actually go through and uh, take the Champions League. It's it's a final in Germany, so they want to make it, and uh, they have every chance to do that. Uh, certainly, they do. I mean, they're obviously, as you said, eight points clear um, in the league, and that's going to be a buffer that they can use to their advantage if they're going to, you know, fight on on both of these fronts and and have a chance to win uh, um, that double. Uh, in terms of, of the Chasers, uh, Wolfsburg, and you mentioned them before we came on the air, they are the story right now. Um, and they signed Andre Schuller from, from Chelsea. And before, maybe before we get into Wolfsburg and their, either their chances of, of tracking down, uh, Bayern Munich or, or just what the kind of form that they're on right now, what do you make of, of Andre Schuller signing with Wolfsburg and what do you make of his time at Chelsea? But first of all, it's a statement from, from Wolfsburg. Uh, they're saying, well, we can invest, uh, 32 million euros or 22 million pounds or in a player. It's the third highest fee ever paid for, for a player coming into Bundesliga or transferred within the Bundesliga. So, um, well, that's a statement. And, uh, of course, Schürrle has a lot of qualities. Um, he's, he's fast. Uh, he can score goals and he's, he's shown that he can score goals. Um, his problem with Chelsea, Probably was uh, that he was ill after the World Cup, so he missed uh, a bit of, I think from the period from September through to November, he didn't really feature for for Chelsea, and uh, he was dropped by Mourinho after that. 
So uh, he looked a different player at the World Cup than uh, the, the player who had left Leverkusen the year before. And um, so he learned a lot there. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to Bundesliga again. Um, it's a great team he plays along now uh, with Kevin De Bruyne and Maximilian Arnold, Ivan Perisic. A lot of quality there. Yeah. Speaking of De Bruyne, um, some some chatter in, in my Twitter feed recently just about just how good Kevin De Bruyne has been this season, and perhaps even you know d- despite the star power at, at at Bayern Munich and, and obviously some of the other players around the league, that De Bruyne may be the player of the year to this point. Is that your take? And and how how good has he been? Well, he's certainly up there with, alongside uh, maybe Arjen Robin as the best player in the league so far. Um, He's just got a lot of speed, and he's got a got a great eye. So um, he's got a vision where where his teammates will run, and uh, he can find those spaces. And he actually, I'm not sure if you saw those two goals he scored against Bayern Munich, we just uh, hammered the ball into mm-hmm. the net. So he's he's basically a very good attacker, but he also works into uh, defense, and so great player. And um. Still don't have a clue why he never made it at Chelsea. Uh, in, in terms of uh, Wolfsburg's match, uh, ma- their match yesterday, they they draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, uh, mild disappointment there for for Wolfsburg in in that match, or how did that match play out? Uh, certainly a bit of disappointment because um, they could have narrowed the gap to six points. Um, they just equalized two minutes before the final whistle, and uh, they actually they could have should have lost the match. Um, but that's the point with, with Wolfsburg. They are not ready to win the league yet, but um, they're in a good pos- position to actually qualify for the Champions League, which they only have done once after winning the league in 2009. So it's all fine in, in Wolfsburg. Uh, is it also fine in Mönchengladbach, third place at this point? <laughs> you know, again, Bayern Munich, the... the 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 brightest star in the in the Bundesliga certainly most money biggest cloud biggest club, Wolfsburg playing as well as they are Kevin De Bruyne uh, fantastic uh, second place but Mönchengladbach has to be the 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 surprise team so far. They they win their games um, twice one one nil twice with goals scored by Patrick Herrmann and they were lucky to win both games um, against Stuttgart in the first match on Saturday. Stuttgart hit uh, the crossbar from two meters in the 92nd minute. Yesterday, Freiburg were uh, in good positions four or five times to equalize. So they've been lucky, but they've got a, a great best in the squad. We've talked about this before. Um, their attacking lineup with Torgan Hazard, uh, with this Fabian Johnson, who's now settled uh, at, at this new position in left midfield. Um, You've got Max Kruse, you've got a young Swedish striker coming through, uh, Patrick Herrmann. A lot of speed, a lot of um, well, talent in there, in the, in the attack. And uh, Granik Xhaka has played an outstanding season in holding midfield. So it's a very, very good team. The uh, the uh, contingent of Americans in Germany is fairly small at this point. Certainly some of those uh, dual international players who have declared and played for the United States are of, of, of specific focus, Fabian Johnson being one of them. You just mentioned him. He helped Gladbach with that uh, with the goal in that game. The uh, the other and, and he was one of the best American players at the World Club Cup, clearly. 
I, I don't know if you if you're if you're aware of this, Stefan, but uh, in the last U.S. international, which was clearly a B or C side for the United States, and Fabian Johnson was not present, obviously. Uh, Lurgan Klinsman trotted out a 3-5-2 formation or a 5-3-2, however you want to view it. And a lot of discussion about where Fabian Johnson would fit in that system. Just briefly, for those American fans out there, do you believe that he's the kind of player that could uh, slot into a uh, wingback position in a 3-5-2 and and be effective? He certainly can, Casil. Well, he he trained uh, both positions. Uh, He played at right back. And uh, he's playing on the left wing now for, for Gladbach, so he knows uh, how to attack. And you saw that at the World Cup as well, uh, when he played uh, in, at right back and uh, just stormed up and down the pitch all the time. So but he can do that. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure uh, he'd be a uh, great, probably left wing back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly think that's the spot that most American fans would expect him to, to fit into that formation, although nobody knows that that formation is actually going to stick <laughs> or work, because we've got Jermaine Jones in the middle of the center back <laughs> three, and he's uh, he's a little bit of an interesting uh, adventure there. Uh, one of the other players, uh, uh, Julian Green, um, obviously some controversy ahead of the World Cup in his selection, goes into the team, uh, uh, selected for the team despite um, you know, a very ro- young career, a uh, very little senior experience. He's on loan right now. Um, and, and there's, there's been some, some concern about playing time. Where, where is Julian Green right now in his development? Well, he's nowhere near, uh, starting, but plays in the starting lineup, nor, uh, in the squad right now. Hamburg is, is very, very patchy still. Um, they brought in Eva Traulich from, uh, Wolfsburg, who, to uh, return to his home, and uh, actually, I'm not sure if he was forced out because Schuler came in, or if he wanted to return to to Hamburg. Um, brought in uh, Marcelo Diaz from Basel, a holding midfielder. Um, have a lot of injured players like Louis Holtby, um, who's been sidelined with a shoulder injury for a long time. But all of that doesn't really count for Julian Green because he's just not finding his place in, in the lineup or in the squad. Probably uh, Joe Zinbauer, the coach, just doesn't doesn't really know what to make of him. You know, that's an interesting situation, and I always wonder, uh, maybe I'm generalizing here, Stefan, but uh, I always wonder about younger players who are who have lots of potential. I mean, there's no doubt that Julian Green has talent. That's not necessarily the problem. The problem is his experience, his consistency, his, you know, when you are a club like Hamburg and you are in the table where you are, Maybe that a 19-year-old player of his ilk is not where you want to turn. That's probably uh, right. Um, maybe it wasn't the best decision to uh, to make this move on the. I think it was the final day of the summer transfer period, and uh, he joined a club which is already slumping down into chaos again, uh, like they'd been the previous season. And um, after his first match, his coach got sacked, and. Uh, it's been downhill ever since for Julian Green. Um, not sure, but maybe she, he would have needed another year at Bayern too, but that's playing in the fourth league in Germany. Maybe he should have just uh, tried the second league in Germany. It's all about getting experience and playing time. And uh, he doesn't get anything right now. Another young American in the Bundesliga, John Brooks, who uh, famously scored the, the winner against Ghana at the World Cup. Uh, another... Player with plenty of talent, but but you know obviously he needs uh, to develop, continue to develop as a player. 
uh, at Hertha Berlin. What's the situation with John Brooks? Well, he's been dropped from uh, the starting lineup for today's match against Leverkusen. Uh, with coach Jos Luikai saying he's not aggressive enough and uh, he he's had his chance and uh, other players will will play again. That's two games after um, Jay Bruce has been called world class by Jos Luikai <laughs> uh, after the Dortmund match or three matches after that. So, um, well, he's not consistent. That's uh, that's for sure. And uh, they lost two 0 at Werder Bremen and. Brooks was maybe responsible for one of those goals. Still, <laughs> you you need to allow young players time. So you can't say he's world class one day and throw him out of the squad the other day. So there has to be some like something between the black and white. Um, but Jos Luikai, his coach, could be sacked after tonight. Mm. Should they lose to to Leverkusen or Hatter are close to the relegation zone right now and. Uh, it appears the club is losing patience, so um, it could all change for Brooks within the next few weeks, uh, depending on whatever coach comes in at the club. Certainly bears watching. Um, the, the last thing I'll talk about, speaking about the relegation zones, uh, obviously Borussia Dortmund is a major story at the foot of the table. Uh, there is an American at Borussia Dortmund, Joe Zhao, uh, a, a speedy player uh, who relies very much on that uh, talent in order to be effective, and we've heard that he is... Once again, undergoing uh, has undergone knee uh, knee surgery. Uh, this may uh, this may keep him out for the rest of the season. I hate to be you know I, I hate to be negative about this, Stefan, but it very much looks to me like Joe Jow just made maybe one of those players who whose body will not allow him to be uh, to reach the potential that we thought he had. Well, it's a shame, is it? Or he just made it into the the national team and Borussia Dortmund actually at high hopes or. They had him in, in the squad, in the first team squad for a couple of games. He, he made his Bundesliga debut for Dortmund. And, uh, been talking to the club this week and they said it's severe cartilage damage in the knee. Um, so at least out for this season and can take longer than that. Mm. If you look at Jefferson Fan, who, uh, Schalke winger, who's a bit older, but has been sidelined for 14 months now with the same injury. Yeah, yeah. And of course, a knee injury, and speed. Mm -hmm. mm. So, um, well, we'll see about that, but it's a real shame because uh, he had a great start to his time at Dortmund and it seemed like a wise career move to uh, actually make this step back from Hoffenheim's first team to Dortmund's second team. Mm -hmm. uh, no. yeah, there, were, there were a lot of questions about that and it did seem for a little while like it was the right thing to do, but as he, he just, he is snake bitten when it comes to these knee injuries. And there are some players who just, uh, you know, obviously Owen Hargreaves comes to mind and, and some others. You can't, sometimes you just can't, uh, once you have the first one, it's just going to become a, a regular problem. It almost becomes a chronic situation. Stefan Orsfeld, who writes at ESPN FC, among other places, uh, talking in Bundesliga with us. Stefan, I, I have to run, but I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jason. Take care. There we go. Let's take a break. When we come back, Howard Megdo will join us. We'll talk MLS, New York. Red Bulls, Cosmos, NYCFC perhaps. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. Backhill.com.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Let's talk a little MLS or NASL, whatever the whatever strikes our fancy. Howard Megdal, uh, sports writer extraordinaire, USA Today, SI.com, Capital New York is on the line with me now. Howard, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good to be with you. It's good to have you. You can follow Howard on Twitter at Howard Megdal, M-E-G-D-A-L. Howard, let's talk New York Red Bulls. Uh, it's been a, a tumultuous uh, offseason so far. Uh, for the established team in the New York market, the Red Bulls come off. I, I, I won't call that a disappointing season. Uh, no supporter shield to uh, to hold up, but certainly making the playoffs as they see off Thierry Henry. You thought maybe there was some momentum there that you thought they needed to match NYCFC, at least in the PR battle for the soccer minds, uh, hearts and minds of New York. And they bring in a new, uh, a new technical director. They fire their head coach. And now Tim Cahill's out, and specifically about Cahill. How do you, what do you make of his time in New York and his departure by mutual consent? Well, you know, there are two parts to it. One is the larger issue of how you're going to market the Red Bulls in 2015 with, like you said, NYCFC there. Uh, like we mentioned uh, off-air, the New York Cosmos in existence and pushing for headlines as well. And from that perspective, it's problematic because what do you have in Tim Cahill other than an international superstar who can draw fans out, especially important after Thierry Henry has uh, retired. That said, from a soccer perspective, the move makes a lot of sense. Uh, Cahill and the Red Bulls did not see eye to eye going back to when Cahill wanted an extension. And uh, Kristen Dyers reported really well on this. And the Red Bulls did not want to extend him. And from there, you saw a real difference between what Cahill was giving to Australia, both in the World Cup and then most recently in the Asian Cup, and what he was giving to the Red Bulls on the field. And so at a certain point, by the end of last year, the Red Bulls were paying DP money for a guy coming off the bench. Mm. doesn't make a lot of sense, especially with MLS's difficult finance. No, certainly not. You think some of that is obviously down to just what kind of an odd fit Tim Cahill was in that team. It never seemed like Mike Peck, he really knew where to use him, how to use him. There was a brief period a couple of years ago, and maybe we'll talk about the totality of Cahill's time yeah. in New York, but there was a time a couple of years ago where he was sort of the embodiment of what the Red Bulls, people thought the Red Bulls should be. He was gritty. He, he, he saved them with a couple of late goals, and you thought it was going to work, but it never, there was never a, a clear spot for him. Well, Cahill was perhaps the best player in 2013 with, with no apology to Thierry Henry necessary. It, Henry was very good in 2013. Cahill was perhaps better. But you're right, there was not a great fit. But to me, what's fascinating about it is there wasn't a great fit under Mike Petty, and uh, Ali Curtis did not see a fit under a very different system. And that tells you that there's perhaps something else going on there. I can tell you, I sat for a one-on-one with Tim Cahill last October. And throughout the conversation, he talked about his time with the Red Bulls in the past tense. And it was very striking to me that, you know, look, this was a guy with one foot out the door already. That's very interesting. And I've seen some, some thoughts, and it certainly isn't representative of the entire fan base, but I've seen some thoughts from some Red Bull fans. They, they were a little aggrieved by the fact that Cahill would often, especially on Twitter, talk a lot about Everton and his time at Everton. And certainly he was there for a long time, and he's a mm-hmm. club legend. But he, he really didn't do the same with the Red Bulls. Was there ever a sense, uh, maybe in your one-on-one with him or, or just in the way he dealt with the media in general, that he wasn't really completely invested in, in this thing, that this was, it really was sort of a payday for him? 
No, until 2014. If you go back to 2012, 2013, it was a very different experience with Tim Cahill. Uh, after 2012, if you remember that awful defeat uh, to DC United when Kenny Cooper missed the penalty kick in the mm-hmm. 73rd minute, I believe, uh, Cahill actually protected Cooper from the media, refused to let uh, Cooper talk and spoke out. And you could see, though, Cahill was absolutely broken up about it. He was not half-heartedly here until what was obviously a degenerating situation between Cahill and Red Bull's management. And that's where it really began to change. Well, clearly the Red Bull's management situation is another point of concern for the fans. And, uh, you know, obviously with uh, Roxborough leaving and now Ali Curtis coming in and the change, the change it to the, the head coach position, Mike Pecky being fired, the, the fans have more reason to, to worry. And then there's the rumors floating around that perhaps the Red Bulls are on the block. And I think... Do you get the sense that the fans would actually prefer that this club be sold, that, that they're done with Red Bull as a as an ownership group? I think there's a large portion of the fan base that feels that way. Uh, I, I think the, the roots in this go back to even 2006 when uh, Red Bull took over and rebranded the club, and I think we saw a lot of that anger come out with the fire in my pet pee, which is essentially uh, something that might make sense on the pitch but is not going to be the smartest thing to do if you are trying to brand around tradition. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there was no more Metro Stars slash New York Red Bulls representative of this now 20-year history than Mike Petty. And so when you fire him on the eve of a new season, when you've been spending the last year talking about a need to embrace that tradition, there's a difficulty there. Now, I would just say the flip side of that is that if ultimately you want to be a winning ball club, mm-hmm. you need to put the best possible team on the field. And uh, and to Curtis and Marsh have both made it clear they want to embrace analytics and try and do something differently and try and do something, uh, you know, arguably more statistically based. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't strike me as an inherently bad thing. The problem is it may take a while. Mm-hmm. It's especially going to take a while in the event that you don't bring in expensive talent to sort of jumpstart uh, that kind of reboot. And the longer it takes, the more you're going to see fans restless, not to mention Curtis assigned to a one-year deal, which means he may <laughs> not even be able to see it through. Uh, well, uh, that's uh, I did not realize that. That's interesting. It's certainly a tough sell uh, to the yeah. fans to say, hey, we're going to go into this room with a bunch of numbers and crunch some things, and we'll be back. And we'll put a winner on the field. Trust us, uh, especially right. what they don't. You know, they, they don't know these guys. They don't know Curtis. They they don't know Marsh except as a former player in this league. And yet, you look at what they've done in terms of personnel uh, since Henri rode off uh, into the sunset to London, and Cahill has now left, or even before Cahill left, clearly. And the trade to Montreal to get the top allocation spot so they could sign Sasha Question. They bring in Felipe Martins, who's a, a player that Jesse Marsh knows very well. And you can sort of see how this might be a step forward. Maybe not because Thierry Henry was such a, so influential, but certainly there's reason to hope. Well, a step forward post Henry, and and look, you had to build a team differently once Thierry Henry left. For the four and a half years he was here, the only thing to do was to make sure you surround him with the most Thierry Henry supportive players possible and maximize what you get. And you could even argue that that was a success. It fell short of an MLS Cup trophy, but to win Supporters' Shield in 2013 and to be within that, you know, that one goal of getting to MLS Cup this past season uh-huh. uh, certainly is, you know, n- nothing to sneeze at. That said, Henri is gone, so how do you build that team out? 
it makes a lot of sense the way they're doing it. And, and, and even just to your last point about, you know, look, these guys are in the room. They're coming up with stats and we'll get back to you. Uh, you know, I, I just finished a book about the St. Louis Cardinals in a different sport, but a similar issue where you had a very traditionally run team and you brought in analytics people. What's notable to me, though, is that when the Cardinals did that, they kept their manager, who was an old school manager, Tony Russa, in the dugout. Mm-hmm. They kept the GM, Walt Jockety, as GM, and they sort of did this tinkering behind the scenes. So by the time they were ready to win with this new approach, fans had not been aggrieved in the meantime. And now I don't know how much would have been lost by keeping Mike Pecky and doing everything else exactly the same, but from a PR perspective, especially the year that NYCFC debuts, boy, that sure would have been awfully helpful for uh, for the Red Bulls just selling tickets, which can't be Curtis's number one option, but certainly is uh, an issue for the Red Bulls overall. Yeah, we start to. I thought we were seeing progress on that front, and I mean, there were a lot of. There's been a lot of jokes, and MLS is kind of rife with these jokes across many markets about half-empty stadiums. But when you have Red Bull Arena and sort of what that venue represents, whether it's located in a great spot or not, to have it empty on big match days is a thing that bothers MLS fans across the league. And we thought we were seeing progress on that front. And now you wonder if they're going to take a step back. And the other thing I'll say about the analytics approach, which I have no problem with. I believe you use every uh, advantage you can to try to win games, matches, whatever you want to call them, is that in soccer, it's this is still in its infancy, and I'm not so sure that anybody, anybody quite knows how to apply it effectively across the board. And in, in what you've seen, are you convinced that they have a grasp on how to use this stuff, or is this window dressing? The the flip side argument to that is because it's in its infancy, you probably have a greater gap to exploit if you're able to do it well. Okay. Um, that said, I would not be willing to uh, put forward an opinion either way. I think it's way too soon to come to conclusions about it, uh, which is not to say that I have total faith in their ability, and it is not to say that I'm ready to dismiss it. I, I just think we need to see what they're able to put forward and uh, get more specifics about how they're doing it before we can uh, come to that conclusion. And, and, and again, like you've mentioned uh, previously, it's going to take time, and I don't know how much time they have, mm. just from the point of view of going up Red Bull Arena alone, which I, I agree with you. The, the bottom line is that they have this beautiful uh, state-of-the-art facility uh, that is always a pleasure for me to go to, and then I'm blown away by the fact that there are 25,000 people in those seats every time out. Of course, part of that has to do with a very limited uh, PR campaign that they've put forward, especially as it relates to paid media. Uh, before we move on to one of these other New York clubs and, and their doings, Sasha Kleschen has joined, and, and that's that's a bit of a salve to the wounds, I suppose, for, for Red Bull fans who are still upset, and rightfully so, but... Uh, Kleschen is a quality player. There's a transfer fee paid, so that indicates some sort of investment on the part of the team at a time when you wondered if they might take a step back uh, from the financial element of, of running this club. What does Kleschen bring for you, and, and is he the right kind of player to fit alongside Dax McCarty? Well, first of all, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Dax, because Kleschen with Dax together, I think, is going to be a very significant advantage for the Red Bulls going into virtually any match they play this year. Uh, When you look at it from an off-the-field perspective, it does give them a name of sorts to be able to market. Uh, The the problem and the thing that I wonder about is whether it would bring people the same way that, say, it's Gary Henry or Mm. Tim Cahill would. Mm. However, 
we were talking about a stadium that wasn't full anyway. Right. And it comes down to as much as anything, letting people know how they can see, you know, whoever is playing at Red Bull Arena, as opposed to just hoping word of mouth is enough to get Thierry Henry there. I mean, that's sort of the shock when you, when you think back. Thierry Henry was in a Red Bulls uniform for four and a half years, and you didn't see him all over New York City buses. You didn't see him in Times Square. There were just people who were unaware of this in a larger way, and it just feels like a massive missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's going to continue to be the case no matter who the Red Bulls employ, just from a perspective of getting people out, you know, out to the field. So Clushton and Cardi and Martin's now in there. We know Bradley Wright Phillips has signed a DP contract. It's a matter of getting him the ball in, in dangerous places, which mm-hmm. Henri did quite a bit last season. It's going to be an interesting year for the Red Bulls. Now, across the river, you've got a couple of different things happening. NYCFC getting ready to launch their inaugural season. Now, they've taken a bunch of PR hits, Howard, and, and I've been railing against some of the things that they've done recently. But let's talk about the Cosmos, who are sort of the X factor in, in New York. And... You know, I've been tracking, you know, from afar, everything that they've been doing as much as I can. They have a $200 million stadium proposal with the state of New York, which, as far as I know, still hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, I don't know how long mm-hmm. it's been, but it feels like it's been two years at this point. They're, they're playing out at Hofstra. You know, they, they've made some big signings. Raul is certainly a magnificent signing for them. What do you what do you make of their efforts so far? I mean, they, they seem hamstrung. Uh, there's 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 just not an opportunity to lurch forward the way that they want to. How big could they be? It's the great unknown question hover, hovering over New York City soccer right now, and and it is uh, as I was telling you off air, I, it's endlessly fascinating to me. I, I don't know how they get from uh, from A to B. But seeing them do it and seeing how they try is uh, absolutely fascinating to watch. Uh, there's a lot of money that they can spend. That's obvious. Uh, they can spend money that their MLS rivals cannot because the NASL does not have the salary cap issue that MLS does. It's not single entity. And so there are opportunities there that would not be available to the Red Bulls or NYCFC. But I'll say something else and just references what you mentioned about NYCFC. If the Red Bulls are unilaterally disarming, and we don't know if they are yet or if this is a different approach, uh, but certainly from a PR perspective, they're unilaterally disarming this year. They're, they're not taking the star approach. NYCFC is doing, uh, I mean, virtually everything you'd say to alienate the fans. I mean, I don't even know how it's to You know, Frank Lampard's coming, but he's not, and we never said we signed him. You know, I don't know where you got that idea. And <laughs> by the way, when you come to Yankee Stadium, here are all the ways in which you can't be enthusiastic. But if you're looking for a common thread between the Frank Lampard affair and the Yankee Stadium regulations, even though they came from very different places, the common thread is don't be enthusiastic about NYCFC, <laughs> which, you know, and the lead up to uh, the very start of NYCFC seems like it's a tactical error. Right. But it's more than that. There, there's a lack of reach out, and I've heard this from so many colleagues, there's a lack of reach out on the PR side to media leading up to these events. Well, when you go back to Don Garber talking about NY2, before, before there was ever an ownership group, Don Garber spoke about the need to break through on the media side beyond soccer in New York City. That's the entire reason why NY2 exists. That's the entire reason why they went forward on it 
without even having a stadium. I mean, you know, the hundred million dollars helps, but also that's the reason why they were doing this. But the people who bought the team are two entities that are not used to going after the media. In fact, they're used to giving the media the back of their hand because everyone wants to cover Man City now, right. and everyone always wants to cover the New York Yankees. So mm-hmm. they don't have the slightest idea, it seems to me, on how to cultivate a relationship with the media that is the entire reason for the team's existence. And that may be a bigger problem than Frank Lampard That's interesting. or playing the Yankee Stadium or anything else. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, and I think it's a little inside baseball for, for people, for just the, the average fan. But there is some, something to be said. I, I think I've... I've heard that only recently, within the past couple of weeks, have they signed a U.S.-based press officer or hired a mm-hmm. U.S.-based press officer, rather, that everything was being run out of, of City Football Group's headquarters in Manchester. Now, there is a fundamental cultural difference in the way that Premier League teams operate and American sports teams operate, regardless of the Yankees factor, which, as you said, is sort of this high and mighty, we're the Yankees, we're not wanting for coverage. So you have a double whammy there, and, and that's... That is that is a problem, and I, I don't know why MLS wouldn't, wouldn't be more proactive on that front. There's not a ton MLS can do, as far as I understand it, you know, in terms of interfering, in terms of, uh, you know, in, implementing their own PR technique. Uh, so, you know, that's a limitation. But I, when it comes right down to it, uh, it's not clear on a day-to-day basis who is representing NYCFC from a PR point of view. And you're right, it's inside baseball in terms of uh, how that operation affects what what I do and what you do. But where it's not inside baseball is where fans are suddenly going to turn around the way Red Bulls fans have been talking for two decades and say, why wasn't there more about this in the Post? Why wasn't there more about this in the Daily News? Why wasn't WFAN at the unveiling of the jersey with, with uh, you, you know, back, back in, I think it was October or November, and I found out subsequently that WFAN wasn't invited. The radio partner wasn't invited to the Tuesday unveiling. And I mean, it's those types of things that are just absolutely mind-boggling and are are going to cost them in year one when year one is where they really have to make these inroads. Because once everyone gets used to not covering NYCFC, it's going to be hard to change it. And if you don't believe me, you know, ask Brian Sal and the New York Red Bulls about what they had to... uh, just to get people to come out to Thierry Henry for four and a half years. Yeah, now Brian's no longer with the Red Bull. Again, inside baseball. Brian's no longer with the Red yeah. Bull, so now we can maybe we, some, you, Brian. we can get some behind the scenes on that. Uh, just before I let you go, Howard, and, and, and yeah. I've said in the past, I said when this whole deal came together with Manchester City, the $100 million, the decision to put them in, in Yankee Stadium came down after all of that, well, we're... Where can we be? Where, where can we put a stadium? And knowing it's New York and knowing that's nearly impossible, de Blasio gets elected. It's all of these things that are snowballing on them. I said uh, at the time that Don Garber's legacy is tied to New York City FC. Uh, do you think I'm wrong about that? And ultimately, do you think this is going to be a, a black mark on what has been a very successful tenure leading MLS out of the desert and into the promised land? I am a huge Don Garber fan. I think it will be a black mark if it doesn't come to pass. And I think the extent to which Don Garber is aware of his legacy resting on this is seen in all of the other expansion teams we've seen since. I think Garber understands that he's got to spread his bets around a little bit, and I think that's just what's happened. 
Howard Megdal covers uh, baseball, as you as you mentioned, as you uh, you heard, and certainly soccer up in New York. Uh, check out the book, The Cardinal Way. Is that what I heard? Yes, The Cardinal's Way coming out in October. There and you go. More more about soccer later this week at Capital New York. There you go, Capital New York, SI.com, and various other places. Howard Megdal on Twitter. Thank you for your time, Howard. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having right, me. There you go. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Open up those phone lines, get the Twitter machine rolling. I got a couple of things to mention. AJ Soares not going to Italy, and you won't believe why. And it's National Signing Day. We might have some more fun with that. Soccer Morning, Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go. Back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines are open. 347-756-6276. It is your time to jump on the line. Give us uh, your thoughts. Give uh your perspective on anything we've already talked about, anything you want to bring up. I'm uh, ready to go. It's open lines here at the end of the show. In the meantime, let's talk about the plight of one A.J. Soares, former New England Revolution defender, out of contract, ready to make the move to Europe, had a deal all lined up with Hellas Verona of Syria. Guess what happened? It didn't come to pass. It looks like it's dead. And the reason why is a little mind-boggling. And it's got for American soccer fans, it's got to it's just got to hit you in the gut a little bit. AJ Soares uh, cannot sign with Hellas Verona because the club would be taking a hit on the salary of Rafa Marquez. Rafa Marquez has a clause in his contract that requires Hellas Verona to pay him significantly more money if they bring in another defender. Now there are a couple of things here. One, damn it, Rafa, can we just? I thought we were done. Just go away. I know you already went away, but stop messing with us. Number two, if you're Verona, why the hell is this contract in Rafa Marquez's contract? Why is he really, is he really that good at this point in his career? I mean, look, I know the World Cup, you know, World Cup and, and, and everything else that brings his name back into the mix and, and gets a move out of Brazil. I mean, from Brazil and, and his play there, he gets a move back to Europe after being in Mexico for some uh, period of time after the whole MLS debacle, but to have him be able to dictate your transfer policy at the back at 35 years old, ah, uh, and now and I really, really feel for AJ Swords because he is a free agent. He will have the opportunity to sign somewhere else more than likely, but it probably won't be his first choice. I, I imagine Verona was his first choice, and here you go. Uh, the revolution, uh, the revolution do hold his rights, I believe, if he does end up coming back to MLS. So I suppose there's a sliver of hope for Revs fans that they get get AJ Soares back in the team, especially in light of the fact that this is a club ready to make a challenge for MLS Cup again in 2015 after coming so close last season. You got Andrew Farrell back there. Uh, you've obviously got a couple of of issues at the back now, based on the departure of AJ Soares. Imagine if he came back. I don't think it's very likely. It may not be likely at all. But there you go. Today is National Signing Day. This is when all of those high school athletes sign letters of intent to attend colleges where they will play that same sport that they starred at in high school. 
I don't really care about this day, generally speaking. I know there are soccer players making their college decisions. Good for them. Congratulations to all of those kids getting scholarships and getting the opportunity to play in college after being either high school or academy players or whatever the situation is. I, I, I don't. I, I could go look at the recruiting class for my favorite college football team. I'm just not that guy. I'll find out in the fall how good they did. But imagine if there was, and this is courtesy of our friend Nicholas Murray, who hit me up on Twitter earlier this morning. Imagine if we had national, uh, if we had a day where players who had who are dual internationals were making their decisions live on television at a at a car, you know, at a a table in a gym somewhere. Well, maybe not. Maybe we'll raise it up a little bit. Maybe in a a ballroom at the local Radisson. Wouldn't that be fun? We could get, I mean, go back in time. Julian Green having to make a decision. John Brooks having to make a decision. Now, ultimately, you can imagine that there wasn't much of one. They probably weren't going to be German internationals. They chose the United States. But we still have a, we still have a couple of kids out there. There's so, there's still, there's kids down in Mexico who have a choice to make. There are kids over in Europe who have citizenship or the opportunity to play for other countries. Can we get Christian Pulisic to make his decision live on television? Just to make my, like, I don't think he's going to go play for the country of his parents. But I, can I just get him to declare for the U.S. and sign the letter of intent? That's not really binding. National Signing Day is also the only other day, besides the deadline day for, for transfers, that the fax machine gets a little bit of run in the modern world. National Signing day, transfer deadline day, fax machines, back and forth. Now, the fax machine got no run in England, no run really in Europe during this particular transfer window. Maybe in the maybe in the summer, it'll get its day in the sun again. National signing day for, for players coming into college. They're using fax machines as well. 347-756-6276. What's your take on... AJ Soares and his situation. If you want to curse Rafa Marquez within reason, no actual curse words. I don't have a bleep here. We don't work with a we don't work with a delay on internet radio. You don't have the we don't have the opportunity to cut out your curse words. So I will drop you if you say if you drop an f bomb. But if you would like to curse out Rafa Marquez for preventing an American player from getting the opportunity to go play in Europe <laughs> or in Italy, and we just don't get the we don't get Americans going to Italy. It just doesn't happen. For whatever reason, that's that's a league that just doesn't seem hospitable to American players. Gooch at Milan, where he never played, signed signed a contract. What was his what was that contract? He for he he deferred his salary for a year or something like that. It was a very strange situation for Gooch. Obviously a a, a bad a really bad place to be for him. Coming off of a, a knee injury. Getting into fights with Laton. You go back and you had Alexi Lalas playing in Syria. Am I missing anybody? Is that the list? Oh, Michael Bradley at Roma, clearly. So we were going to get an American back into Syria with AJ Source. I- I'm not missing anybody, am I? Off the top of my head. No other Americans currently in Italy, right? Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. It's sort of like how you, you have to remember there's only one American player in France. And congratulations to Alejandro Bedoya signing an extension with Nantes. 
to stay in Liga, a place where he's rounded into form and reached his potential after that move from Scandinavia. Good stuff for, for Alejandro Bedoya. A nice, a nice player and a good American international. One guy. One guy in that league. Is there anybody else? What other leagues do we have one player in? I feel like there's some other. We had Sasha Kleschen in Belgium. Is there an American in Belgium? I don't think there's an American in Belgium. I need some help on Twitter with this. One, one American in, because this, the, um, the European contingent continues to dwindle. Now, Sasha Kleschen has jumped over and joined the Red Bulls. Juan Agudelo, who might have been playing in Europe, is no longer in Europe. Well, no longer dancing with Europe. No, no longer even trying in Europe. Now he's a, a, New, a New England Revolution player again. Well, that's great for the Revolution. It's great for MLS. Will we miss out on the opportunity to have like one player in, I don't know, Holland? Do we have, I'm sure there's more than one. I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's some dual international kids I'm missing. I'm sorry, Aaron Johansson's in Holland. So there's certainly that. African Cup of Nations semifinal today, Ivory Coast, DR Congo. That's a big match. I saw that tomorrow, for Ghana, Asimo Gian will miss the semifinal for, for Ghana. That's a big blow for them. Clearly, uh, clearly they need him. He's, he's, he's like the talisman for Ghana. They play Guinea in that match. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Do I have that right? I have to look at the... I have to look at the... Uh, they play... I'm sorry. They play Equatorial Guinea. I got my Guineas wrong. The host side, Equatorial Guinea. You remember the controversy from the other day? Equatorial Guinea in the quarterfinals. Given an absolutely horrendous penalty. The referee for that match has been banned for six months by, by uh, the African Federation. Confederation. He has been banned for six months for poor performance. I'm not going to try to say his name. His last uh, last name is Sechern. He gave Equatorial Guinea a controversial penalty in stoppage time as they beat Tunisia. And now he's been uh, banned for six months. And yet Equatorial Guinea goes on into the semifinals and has an opportunity to make a final in home soil in a tournament they had no supposedly no business competing in. A little troubling. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. If you jump, don't jump on the line. We're going to wrap this one up. Appreciate Stefan Ersfeld and Howard Megdal for their insights today. Good, very good conversations with both of them. The German situation with the American players certainly worth paying attention to. John Brooks, Brooks dropped for today's match against Leverkusen. As Stefan said, that's not good. Obviously, Julian Green, we want to see him get playing time. That's all I just play a little bit. Enough to get better. So that when you're 20, you're better than when you 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 you're better than when you were 19. And when you're 21, you're better than when you were 20. Maybe then he'll be ready to jump into the national team on a full-time basis. And we'll have to have a selection crisis for Jurgen Klinsmann. Jurgen Klinsmann's starting to take a beating, by the way. A little bit in the in the uh, American soccer Twitter sphere, maybe in the press a little bit. I'm seeing some opinion pieces come out on the issue of Jurgen Klinsmann and the way how much he talks and the things that he says. Piece over at SoccerAmerica.com by Paul, Paul Kennedy addressing that very issue. Time to toss Klinsmann's bully pulpit. 
This is the situation where Jurgen Klinsmann, in the, in the aftermath of a loss to Chile, rather than just going back to work, trying to figure out how to fix the issues the United States has, maybe considering whether the 3-5-2 is the way to go or not the way to go, maybe Jermaine Jones isn't the right guy to play in the middle, what, whatever the fixes are, rather than going into a room with his assistant coaches and trying to figure this out, he's got to go out into public and he's got to say things that are critical of his, own, of his players, criticizing their fitness in this, in this situation. Klinsman, and Klinsman knows the deal with MLS players and fitness in January. And you had three weeks. I'm not saying that you should be at full fitness in three weeks. should be better than you were when you started. Certainly good enough to go to Chile and compete with a B team. This is from uh, Paul Kennedy. If Klinsman was so worried about the fitness of the U.S. players, U.S. soccer should have sent them to athlete performance, which is a facility, I believe, in Arizona. The U-20s faced a similar issue, so U.S. soccer organized a fitness camp for the 10 U-20 candidates in Florida in early December. Sure, the time frame was slightly different. The U-20s went to Honduras in mid-December and reassembled a week before, before the national team to get ready for the CONCACAF tournament. But if some kind of fitness initiative was good enough for the U-20s, it should be for the senior national team. The phrase that stands out in Klinsman's last remarks is, it's fine, quote-unquote. It's one of his favorite expressions, along with his SoCal speak, like it's cool or it's a bummer. Either it's fine or it's not fine. If he was so upset that certain players didn't follow his workout guidelines, why didn't he send them home right away? Saying it's fine smacks of an air of resignation about the national team and the environment in which it operates. Nothing he says is wrong. It just misses the point. The fitness of the national team is not the problem. Bully pulpit for Klinsman has become a distraction. That's the opinion of Paul Kennedy, and I'm sort of with him. And with that, we'll wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning here on Backheel.com. Cross your fingers, pulling back the curtain just a little bit. Cross your fingers. The video feed should be back tomorrow. If everything goes the way it should, I have to run right now to go set that all up. We should be back on YouTube tomorrow. I'm very hopeful of that. Thank you very much to Producer Trevor for his work. As always, please go to 3nailfc.com to buy your Soccer Morning t-shirt. Go to backheel.com slash store to get your Soccer Morning mug and various other humorous t-shirts. And uh, we're on iTunes. We need your rating and your review to remain one of the top soccer podcasts in this country. Hopefully one of the top sports podcasts. Why don't we shoot for the moon? We want to be number one. Can we take down this American life? Why not? Go give us a rating review. Appreciate it. Bye. Motel alone. Their corporate plexus.